Hey, welcome back to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. It is a pleasure to spend these moments with you wherever you're listening to this from, whatever you're doing right now. I just want you to know that I'm thankful that we can spend a few minutes together pressing into uh, the presence of God, into everything that he has for us. We are in part four of this series called Rekindle. This is a year-end series uh, we're doing at Mountain Park. And every year we take time to pray and discern and ask the Holy Spirit for a word for the life of our church in the coming year. We're simply just asking him um, to reveal, you know, an element of his heart for us, an emphasis for us. And we really sense this year rekindle uh, is what he's calling us to. And the, the heart behind that is that God is inviting us to rekindle a deep hunger and longing for his presence. He's inviting us to rekindle the fire of our first love, the, the, the spiritual fire of our lives. And thinking of Paul in 2 Timothy, when he was admonishing Timothy to fan into flame the gifts of the spirit that came through the laying on of hands, we are called to cultivate and to nurture and to fan into flame the presence of God in our life, to make his presence our top priority. And that's what we sense for the ourselves in the life of our church. And as we are working through this series, it's actually taking some twists and turns we didn't anticipate. And this week would be one of them. Um, normally this time of year as we're gearing up for our giveaway offering on December 11th and our year end offering where we invite people to give above and beyond their normal giving for the growth and expansion of God's ministry in our church so that we can do things that only God can empower us to do. Normally we'd be teaching on uh, tithing and on giving and we'd be uh, shooting videos that are inspiring, telling these stories of God and his work in people's lives. And this year, I just really have sensed from from Jesus uh, a call to lay some of those normal mechanisms down, <laughs> to uh, trust him with the outcomes that we want to see and uh, to just really... Um, spend time cultivating a heart for his presence in the life of our church. And this week we're talking about suffering and how that connects us in nearness to the fire of God's presence, how God uses suffering sometimes as an avenue or a vehicle in our life to draw us nearer to the flame of his presence. We had the privilege this week to have some dear friends, Philip and Robin Cerez in our service. You're gonna hear me interview them uh, partway through the message. I wanna encourage you to lean into that. Philip has ALS and is in his, you know, end of his second year with that. He's lost his ability to speak. He's lost the strength um, of his body. He's in a, you know, a wheelchair, and um, and what could be and is a tragic and heartbreaking reality has been um, instead something that God has used powerfully in their lives and is using powerfully in ours and other people's lives as a testimony to His goodness and His life, and so. I want to encourage you with that today as you uh, are walking through whatever it is you are in life. Um, Scripture doesn't give us the answer as to why God allows suffering in our lives, why he allows the things he does. But what Scripture does give us a description of is what God can do in the midst of suffering, his power and authority, his goodness, his uh, restoration in his life, how he can turn anything that has been meant for evil into good. Scripture tells us what God can do in the midst of suffering, and it also tells us who is present with us in suffering. 
And so I wanna just encourage you with that. Without further ado, this is part four of our Rekindle series. So our greatest need is for nearness to his presence, but our greatest assignment this year is to be ones who rekindle the fire of his presence in our own lives. We've talked about this so much this year, but I just wanna come back to it really quickly because that can seem abstract and that can seem very uh, ethereal and vague, but Jesus is our model for life. He is our model for life. Uh, just a couple things about that. Uh, why don't you just go back west to that other one? Jesus's life, his own personal life was marked by nearness to the presence of God. That was the priority of his own life. The priority of Jesus's life was to live in close proximity to the Father. That was the priority of his life. And we too are called to be formed into the image of Jesus. We're called into formation, into the image of Christ. You can read that in Romans 8, 29 and 1 Corinthians 15, 49. So Jesus' greatest priority was to be near the Father. Our calling, our assignment in life, the greatest assignment we have is to be formed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is our model for how to be human. Jesus is our model for how to be human and live life to the full. We read in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself, and in Philippians 2 we're given this picture that Jesus took on and accepted every human limitation and experience. Jesus was fully divine, but he is fully human. He is nothing less than fully human. We can't understand this mystery, of course. But Jesus accepted every limitation and experience, including the limitations and experiences that we face when it comes to developing closeness with God. The same mechanisms that are available to us to enter into the presence of God were available to Jesus. Let's not forget this. When Jesus humbled himself and became man, he accepted the limitations we face today in your life and mine, the blockages and the limitations we face, the, the barriers between ourselves and the presence of the Father, he faced them. He lived into them. He accepted all of the limitations that come with experiencing the pain of life and being tested by God in every way. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had power over death. We often think, well, Jesus, because... You were God and man at the same time. Somehow you had this secret way into the presence of God. No. Jesus accessed the presence of the Father in the same ways that we have the opportunity to. He had the same Holy Spirit that we have. He had the same practices that we have available to us. It says in John 16, 33, Philip and Robin are gonna talk about this. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. Hebrews 4, 15, the high this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus in his life was tested. He was tested spiritually. He was tested through painful circumstances and situations. And he was tested through people in relationship. Jesus was tested in every way that we are. The suffering and the testing of Jesus, like ours, took place in the battleground of the emotions. 
So much of our testing takes place on the battlefield of our emotional life. The circumstances and people that produce pain, people that, uh, where we experience violation, betrayal, fear, insecurity, disappointment, grief, loss, conflict, self-pity, rejection, insults, pride, false accusation, and the list goes on and on. Jesus lived through that. And because Jesus accepted every one of our human limitations, because he entered into every experience that we now find ourselves in, because he did that, giving his life as a ransom for us in his living and in his death, Jesus gained victory over all of the things that mar us, that, that hold us hostage. Jesus now has victory over every emotional area, every area of pain and trauma, every area uh, of sickness and illness and struggle. Jesus has victory over them all, but he had to navigate them. I want you to hear this. Jesus had to navigate them in the same way that we do. He never took this God ace you know, God card this ace out of his sleeve just to say, oh, you know what, Father, I want to bypass this one. Can I just go around to go again? He never pulled that card out of his sleeve. He never refused. He never refused the limitations that we all experience. So Jesus navigated areas of suffering and pain and heartache in the same way that you and I do today. We've talked about this before. I just want to remind you, we're not going to go into it, but there's three essential strategies that we believe that Jesus made a, a priority in his life. These were defining markers of his life. Jesus submitted his life to scripture. He allowed scripture to form him. Jesus engaged in regular spiritual practices, rhythms, how do you think he connected with the Father? How do you think he, um, he gained access to an intimacy with the Father? And Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit's gifting and power. These were the mechanisms that Jesus used to walk through everything he did in life. These were the things that Jesus used in order to stoke the flame of God's presence in order to fan into flame the, the, the fire of the presence of God. Today we're talking about how suffering and pain can be an instrumental avenue to nearness to God. And like we've talked about before, all through scripture, God is described as a refining fire. He's described as fire so often in scripture. To be near God is to be near the flame of his presence. God is described as fire. God manifests himself as fire. You can go through the whole Old and New Testament. To be near God is to be near the flame of his presence. But we live in a culture that has a different gospel. The gospel of our culture is to avoid pain at all costs. The, go the gospel of our culture is not only to avoid pain, but to adamantly reject anything, anything that would cause us distress, discomfort, pain, anything that would even infringe on uh, our, our joy or our happiness. The gospel of our culture is to do anything we can to set the direction of our life, to pursue everything that will relieve pain from us. We don't let other people into our space anymore because we refuse to be burdened with any kind of inconvenience or pain. The gospel of our culture is to reject pain, to reject suffering, to reject hardship and sorrow and grief. It ref uh, defiantly rejects it. Anything that might cause emotional pain or distress, reject it. This is my life, my truth, my everything. How dare you violate 
anything in me. How dare you confront anything in me? That's the gospel of our culture. And sometimes our church and the church has had a similar gospel. Sometimes we get stuck in a gospel that rejects suffering or pain in the Christian life. Sometimes we fall prey to a gospel that believes Jesus will always heal and always deliver from hardship. I'm just being honest. Sometimes we actually carry the same spirit that the world does. We put Christian language around it. I've been thinking about this for, a, man, a long time processing this. I think the same spirit at work in the age of our culture is also at work in the life of the church. And this is what this spirit whispers to us. It whispers this to our culture. It whispers it to us in the church. This spirit says God exists to serve you, to meet your needs, and to make your vision of life come into being. Here's what this spirit says. If you want it, God wants it for you. That's not the gospel. That's not found anywhere in scripture. If I just simply want something, therefore God must want it for me. Or my definition of happiness or success or, or freedom or joy or whatever it is, we, we carry this in the life of the church too. And it's the same spirit that's speaking to both. Our culture that says, if I declare this about myself, then it must be. If I want to define myself this way, if I want to define my sexuality this way, then it must be that way. God would never violate that. That's not from the scripture. The invitation of scripture is to enter in to the kind of life that Jesus did. And a chief reason that we reject suffering or pain a chief reason that we demand God to give us a satisfactory answer to our question of why. Why? A chief reason is that we get confused and we, we buy into the whisper of this voice that says, if you want it, God must want it with you. And therefore God must do what he has the power to do to bring about what you want in your life. I think God wants good things for your life and for my life. Of course he does. God wants us to flourish, but what does that mean? God wants to give us life and life to the fullest, but what does that mean? Is that defined by the, the, the things that we ha hold in our culture as valuable and important and life-giving? Does life to the fullest mean that I get what I want? I don't know that it always does. There are a few things we can know about suffering in scripture and how it draws us to God. I just wanna show you a few. In scripture, we know that, we already read this, we can expect suffering. Number two, suffering is not always a result of sin. John 9, 2 and 3, that's a reference to when the disciples came and they were looking at a man who was paralyzed or blind, I think, and they said, Jesus, who sinned? Did he or his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither of them did. Suffering is not always the, the hand of the devil. Suffering is not always linked to some kind of specific sin that you have or that I have. Number three, the will of God is not always opposed to suffering. Go back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. God is not always opposed to the suffering that we are faced with in life. In Scripture, it says that God can take all things and turn them for good. It says Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We're entering into the Christmas season and the, the most glorious message of the Christmas season is that God came down. He didn't demand that you shape up and get your life together and, and figure things out before he would meet with you. The, the amazing message of Christmas is that he came down into our mess. That's what scripture says. Next, it says we follow a savior who himself suffered. Lastly, 
Scripture says suffering draws us to God. Suffering is a mechanism that brings us near to the fire of his presence. Scripture doesn't tell us why God allows suffering. If you, you can comb every verse and sentence in Scripture and you will not find a definitive answer as to why God allows suffering. That's not the purpose of scripture. It's, that's a question that God doesn't answer that's way above our pay grade. <laughs> it's way above our pay grade. The invitation that we see in scripture is to see what God can do with suffering and who is present with us in the middle of suffering. The invitation of scripture isn't to have all of your why questions answered as though God you know, needs to be at our behest, our beck and call, to answer every question of why. Scripture invites us to understand and to see what God can do with suffering and who is present with us in the middle of it. So suffering in Scripture and in our life takes many forms, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And the weight of scripture is not to explain uh, these esoteric and philosophical questions that we have. Do you know, really before the enlightenment, by and large, nobody asked the question why. <laughs> it's actually only in our, our relatively sheltered and affluent lives that we have the arrogance to demand God answer our question of why. For history, thousands of years, their, their focus, even philosophically, the great philosophers weren't always asking why. Why about this? Why about that? Their question was, God, what can you do with this? How can you meet me in the middle of this? Who are you to me in this? Like I mentioned before, our emotions are often the battleground that we fight. The suffering of Jesus took place often on that battleground of emotion. The thing is we turn to many things in order to try and cope with and deal with life. We turn to many things to deal with pain and suffering. I wanna just ask you, who or what do you turn to in your life to cope with, to manage the grief and the loss, the pain, the emotional trauma, whatever it is, the stuff going on in your life, who or what do you turn to? The invitation of Jesus is to actually be willing to face those things with him because he's with us. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil he faced every pain and emotion we do because he was victorious in life and death on the cross. He now has power over all things to redeem and renew and heal and restore because he faced precisely the deep things that you're facing in your own life. Submitted himself to the father in life and in death. Now he has authority over all these places. I, I want you to realize Jesus was the most deeply emotional person that's ever lived. It's not helpful for us to think that the, the goal of Christianity is to be an abstract intellect and to disconnect heart from head. Jesus' head and his heart were firmly rooted together. He was the most stable but deep emotional person that's ever lived, the most perfect expression of our God-given senses and emotions working together under the rule of God to express the kingdom on the earth. And yet our emotions for us as this battlefield that we're on end up costing us so much along the way. We get tripped up and become ensnared. Just think of your life and my life and the, the roller coaster of emotions we've been on in the last few years. How have you done? How have I done? <laughs> this is where real life 
comes into being and where Jesus wants to meet us in the middle of these places. I'm not sure, I think in general, that the church has done well in the last few years. I'm not sure that we have. I'm not sure that I have. One of the most profound things that I've learned in the last maybe year and a half and through the Freedom Session stuff we're doing is this emotion scale. And I wanna just show it to you. We're not gonna go in depth in here. One of the most profound things that I've learned in the area of our emotions and specifically as it relates to areas of suffering and pain, our world tells us that the goal of life is to live on that positive side of the scale. All joy, all peace, all like, like happiness, happiness, happiness. Nothing negative, nothing negative. And so we set out to live on the plus side of the scale, but here's the reality. Here's what Jesus knew, and here's what he's inviting us into with his presence. You cannot live at a plus four without facing the negative four corollary emotion. You cannot live at a plus four all the time without facing with Jesus the negative side. You can't live with joy without facing fear without confronting it head on with Jesus. You cannot live with peace without facing the stuff that threatens it in your life. We, we spend our whole life trying to run from the negative side. Jesus's invitation is, would you walk with me in it? He says, I'm there in the valley of the shadow of death. The valley is the only place where life grows and flourishes. Nothing grows on a mountaintop. And yet we want to live on the mountaintops of life. But I can tell you, nothing grows on the peak of a mountain. It does not sustain life. Life is sustained in the valleys. And in the valleys where Jesus meets us, he is inviting us to actually deal with the emotional stuff in our life, the grief and loss and pain not to hide from it or give just kind of patent Christian answers as to why we want to reject it. I heard someone say this, and I think this rings true. I've experienced the truth of this in my own life. Anything that we are not willing to confront with Jesus on that negative side becomes an area of vulnerability and leverage for the enemy. If you're not willing to step into deep sadness, sorrow, grief, hurt, pain, rejection, loss, insecurity, all of that stuff, if you're not willing to deeply enter into those, those will be a point of leverage for the enemy against you. He will all, he's not a, doesn't play fair or by the rules. He will take any weakness like that, anything that you are refusing to acknowledge or actually face with Jesus, he will turn that into an area of leverage and exploit it and cause you immeasurable pain. He sets traps for me all the time in the life of the church like that. Oh, Andrew, don't go there. That, don't engage in that. You gotta, you gotta fight back. You gotta stand your ground. You gotta, you gotta assert yourself. You gotta assert leadership. You gotta do all of these things. Instead of actually the voice of Jesus saying, Andrew, I know this causes you great insecurity, but I'm with you. Would you be willing to face that with me? Andrew, I know that this causes you great turmoil and struggle, that this gives you anger and all of these things, would you be willing to actually enter that in, into that with me? Andrew, I know you're grieving over this or over that. Would you be willing to face that with me? We wanna live on the plus side, but Jesus invites us to live a, a, a deep emotional life that, it, that, that recognizes his presence in both. I want to invite my friends up, um, Philip and Robin. And Philip has asked, um, <laughs> we're going to, Philip is a risk taker by nature. So this is a little bit risky, but he's asked for a couple strong guys to help lift his chair up onto this platform. So can a couple of guys come and uh, we're just going to lift Philip up. I, I just want to use this as a little moment. I'm going to move this table here too.
Okay. He's, we got a new driver here, so we got to watch for the edges. <laughs> oh, I love that you guys are, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> Can you make it around there? Okay. I've known <laughs> Philip and Robin for many years, and if you've known Philip for any amount of time, you know he's got uh, like life pouring out of him. Adventure runs in his blood, it really does. Doing things he shouldn't do have run in his blood all, and I've loved uh, watching that, being a part of that. Rochelle and I met, um, well I met Philip and Robin for the first time back in the 90s when they lived in Fresno, California. And they were serving with what is now Multiply there. I'm gonna give you this, Robin. And uh, Philip, I attribute uh, my love of good food to, partly to Philip. He's where I learned about In-N-Out Burger and uh, a passion for very well-made food. Uh, my passion for uh, Apple products. I remember the first computer I got and he said, you're now a Macfesian, Andrew, <laughs> years and years ago. And so I've had the privilege of being in many, many ministry environments with Philip and Robin in Montreal for years and years and in Fresno and other places. And um, I thought that it would be a treat for us to, for you to meet them and for them to talk about what they're learning about the presence of God, nearness to God in the midst of their own suffering. So I will let you kind of take it, Robin, and we'll work our way through. Well, thanks, Andrew. It's really good to be with you here this morning. Thanks so much for welcoming us. And, you know, um, tears may flow as I speak, but you know that negative positive scale that you showed, Andrew? I don't think I belly laughed harder in the last two years uh, or shed deeper tears in the last two years, and both are gifts because Jesus is with us. So we want to say hi. Uh, Philip is not able to speak, so lucky you, you get to hear him through me, but I'm somewhat going to commit to speaking to the script that he wrote. No, I'll, I'll, I'll say your words. Um, we're really grateful for our friendship and the years with Andrew and Rochelle as well. And Philip wants to say to you, uh, our recent journey has been quite different since my diagnosis two years ago uh, uh, with ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, if you are not uh, familiar with that disease. And uh, it is a, a terminal disease, but for the grace of God, with a, a two to five year life expectancy. And we've just finished year two. But we belong to Jesus. Uh, over the course of these two years, I've lost my speaking voice and most of the strength in my hands, arms, and legs. I'm thankful I can still get around, but soon I will be in a full-time wheelchair, hopefully something fast. <laughs> no comment. That was a comment. <laughs> um, ALS is a destructive disease where the brain gradually stops communicating with muscles. Within a couple of years, the muscles that control breathing go offline. There's no cure unless God intervenes and heals me, which we are full of faith for him to do. Mm. So as I've kind of had a seat to watch this kind of unfold, I've often wondered this, and I thought it would be good to ask what you've learned about how scripture talks about suffering and those who follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. From Philip. Um, because he uh, can't speak, we did have these questions in advance. Before this disease, I was a part of a sort of privileged elite. The club that knows little of suffering and has lived a pretty charmed life. This left me naive and blind to the pain all around me. Jesus declares hard times will be our reality and promises to bring peace, courage, and hope. John 16:33 says, For in this unbelieving world you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. 
So here are some of the thoughts that I've wrestled with when it comes to suffering and those who follow Jesus. Where do we get the idea that we can avoid trouble and sorrow? How can we be so blind to the depth of human suffering throughout history and all around us to believers and non-believers alike? Suffering is everywhere. How do we have the audacity to put God on trial for every hurt or threaten to disavow his very existence every time we scrape our knee? Paul calls his serious hardships light and momentary afflictions. Let's repent of weak faith, turn towards Jesus and experience his promises. Jesus has overcome this world's pain and he wants to share that peace with us and through us. He can carry our grief and sorrows because by his wounds, we are healed. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. And in, in response um, for myself, first I want to say I probably never knew how powerfully present God was in Philip's life until this diagnosis. Uh, he's always been a man of passionate faith, but he lives at about a million kilometers an hour. And uh, any of you who have known Philip, uh, yeah, you just can't keep up. But I didn't know how deep the well was, um, and the suffering has revealed his dependence on God. It's revealed his security in the identity God shaped for him as beloved son. And Jesus promises his dynamic living, not static info, presence. And I watch that promise being fulfilled every day in Philip, like it's true. <laughs> Who God says he is, it's true. Suffering really believes, really reveals what we truly believe about Jesus and the promises he's given us. And Philip said, by his wounds we are healed, uh, in his comments. And I'm always struck by that, that um, story that came to my heart right after the diagnosis of the friends lowering their buddy through the roof. And Jesus doesn't say, get up and walk. He says, be, for, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And I think sometimes we forget that the most powerful healing has been accomplished for all of us who say, come Lord Jesus, we're forgiven. Forever life started the moment we received that gift and we are steeped in the reality that we're living our forever life. We're living the Father's kingdom right now and it's never ending. It's never ending. And maybe suffering um, has brought that into a much sharper focus for us. Yeah. You've mentioned a few times in the last couple of years at different prayer times we've had together or even just recently um, that you are not victims mm -hmm. and you don't see yourself as a victim. Talk about just um, the challenge that you faced in that area. Mm -hmm. This is from Philip. This fight is more real than you can imagine. The lure of becoming the victim surfaces in a thousand temptations to blame God, envy others, especially when they're talking about their future plans, and leverage the curse for attention and favors. It's a dangerous path that bonds us with the illness and distances us from God's grace and power. So early on, I rejected this and declared the truth. I may have ALS, but ALS does not have me. Yes. And Philip says, the Psalms have helped me enormously to remain in the truth that I'm hidden with Christ in God. I stand on the foundation of my identity, being redeemed by Jesus, adopted by Father God, and resuscitated by the Holy Spirit. This is the source of everything. Yeah. And so, man. So Andrew asked us, like, what are, what are the things you've been sort of forced to confront in this? And I'd like to say that I immediately went, no problem, God. Um, but I can honestly say I haven't felt like a victim and we haven't uh, 
uh, felt that, why us, God? And for us, um, some of the freedom from being caught up in a victim mentality is the fact that there were little yeses we said a long time ago that have continued to produce more yeses in our lives. And Jesus has cultivated in us um, the things he promised to do when we became believers, when we started following him. So as his presence has grown and deepened in us, um, when those trials come, when the challenges have come, um, he's, he's caught our attention quickly. But... <laughs> We are not perfect. <laughs> and and I'll, I can totally confess that, wow, you know, when I first got married, I thought it was a pretty amazing human until, you know, I had to live with Philip. And then I was like, wow, I'm a little bit selfish. And then we had kids and I'm like, oh, I'm just like very selfish. And, and I'll tell you, 24 hours a day um, caregiving for my best friend, I'm selfish. I like my sleep interrupted. I want to just go and do something. Um, and yet, Philip needs me. And so I drag myself back to Jesus and goes and just say, you know, we got to work on this. We got to work on my surrender. There's so much more to surrender. And I can escape. I can fulfill all the duties, but hide away inside because it's safer. And I can self-protect but you can't hold your breath till the weekend or can't hold my breath till he's better because I don't know what God's story is for us. I'm in it every single day and there's a temptation to just sort of hide inside and just do the stuff. But Jesus' presence is with me and his presence is calling out my presence. So he's like, be fully here because I'm fully here. And I'm still learning that too, but... We're in process. <laughs> so how, how has um, this brought you nearer to God's presence? Or what have you learned mm. about God's nature and character that maybe you didn't know before? Mm. From Philip. God with us, Emmanuel. We don't suffer alone. Instead of removing pain from life's equation, he adds a variable, his presence. He's faithful. This isn't easy. Uh, we carry this deep sadness, but we don't carry it alone. Amen. The grief of, you, of losing years with my family is gut-wrenching, but his peace overrides. I may never reach the milestones in mission I had hoped for, but I don't despair. I am hidden with Christ in God. In fact, that's it. There's no despair when we have given, hidden, surrendered our lives to the overcomer. Grief, sadness, even fear is real. But without despair, they've lost their sting. I call it the terrifying delight of losing everything. I don't fight these losses. I'm not blaming or bitter. The trauma of this disease has left me with only the capacity to collapse in the arms of my heavenly father and ask myself if that's enough. Enough to satisfy, fill our identity, fuel our hope, direct our rest. I can't perform for his attention. I can't be strong for his approval. I have nothing left to bargain with. Yet I hear his voice, come Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I'm thankful that even if everything else is lost, we are left with the love and acceptance of the Father. It is untouchable. Jesus loves me, this I know, for his spirit tells me so. I think just to add that the, one of the bits of learning that God's given me is that he's God and he's good. And that how I feel or my circumstance doesn't touch the deep, profound reality that he's God. And I wrestled with feelings in the early stage of this because, because I, I couldn't wrap my mind around the goodness of God. And yet God's led me on a journey um, to sit, actually, it's going to sound strange, but to sit with the phrase that he's uncreated. Mm. 
eternal. And I've tried to wrap my mind around God who says he is God, who is beyond anything we can package, that before anything, God, after everything, God, and that's who's with us. And I am blown away that he doesn't change based on my circumstances or my feelings, hallelujah, and he's up close and tender just as much as he's terrifyingly, awesomely mysterious. And that's who's got our story. It's like, it's like when you discipline your child, you know, and, and you're, you feel a little bit badly you're disciplining them, but then they're so happy afterwards because they suddenly found the safety of, oh, good, there's a line, and if I cross it, I'm in trouble, but if I don't, I'm safe. I have this sense of God's safety because he's way bigger than my circumstance, and he's in control. Um. Maybe a year and a half ago, we were hiking in Hamilton together. Of course, we got some good takeout. I forget from where, but we ate it in the car, and then we went for a walk. And as we were walking, I just so strongly just heard the Spirit say, listen to what he's talking about, because he's, he's going to be entering into a reality and revelation of my presence that cannot be taught or learned or studied about. It's I, like, listen to him. And as we've connected, you know, and whether it's on your back patio or in different ways, I have just so witnessed the presence of God in you guys and a, the deepening of his life in you. And as you have talked and shared and read, even me, just different things you've written, I, I've just been left in awe, just going, man, God, like, there's so much more for us. If we actually would be willing to walk with him through the things that, that open us to more of his presence and his spirit. And, we're going to take some time for some ministry, but I, I, I heard this um, not long ago, and I, I think this really relates. And here's the question. What if the answer to your prayers and to my prayers, to Philip and Robbins, what if the answer is not rescue, but presence? What if the answer is Emmanuel, God with us in the middle? We live in this already but not yet reality. All healing, all sickness, all disease will be healed one day, but we're not guaranteed that all sickness will be healed right now. And so we live in this tension, but what we don't have to wonder about, what we don't have to worry about is walking through it alone. What if the answer to your prayers, the things you're crying out to God for is not rescue from them, but his presence in them with you? I want to read to you this scripture and we're going to just have a little bit of ministry time. I want to invite Liz and the worship team up. I want to read this to you in John 11, 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He's speaking of his friend Lazarus. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Jesus didn't weep because he had no solution. Jesus didn't weep because he was overwhelmed with the problem at hand. He wept because he was angry at the destructive reality of sin and death. Everything that the enemy has sowed into our existence, Jesus was angry 
that people were suffering. He was angry that they were weeping. He was angry at the injustice. Jesus did not weep because he didn't know what to do. He wept as he met them in the place where they were. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside. I don't, I don't think we understand the force of that. In the Greek, that word for anger is literally like the flaring nostrils of a bull. Jesus didn't walk up to it and in, in, in kind of this like broken sort of passive way, just say, guys, roll the stone away. He was furious. His nostrils were flaring like, like the same thing that happens to a bull as it's snorting. He was angry because of the suffering that his friends were enduring. And he's told them, roll the stone aside. Maybe the answer to your prayer is not rescue right now, but the reality that God came in the flesh, was born into our brokenness, and is deeply grieved at what is causing you pain and hurt in your life. Maybe the answer is not, God, remove this from me, but Jesus, show me more of yourself in the middle of it. Jesus, could I experience the reality of your life where everything seems like death around me? Jesus, could I experience the reality of your strength and your capacity to minister to me in my brokenness, in the middle of what I cannot change with my own strength or my own wisdom or my own planning or any of it. Jesus, would you be present in the middle of it? Jesus, I'm willing to face the minus fives and the minus fours. I'm willing to face my deepest fear and hurt and struggle. I'm willing to face grief and sadness because you're here. You are the sustaining reality of this whole cosmos and universe. Some of you have experienced unimaginable suffering, sexual abuse, a violation of your body and your innocence. Some of you have experienced horrible things at the hands of people. Some of you have experienced deep grief and sadness. I've sat with some of you through that. Some of you are experiencing deep loss and loneliness. You're experiencing the, the trauma of broken relationships and things that aren't going the way that you hoped they would or thought they would or even planned for. The invitation of Jesus right now is would you let me be there with you? Would you open that door so that I can step in? be the Prince of Peace in your life. I want to just invite you to stand.